is episode eight of our CI for Life podcast. I am Rick Hyland with RLG International. Uh, this podcast is for individuals and professionals that are passionate about personal and professional continuous improvement. Uh, as you know, if you've been following us, February is Safety Improvement Month, Safety, how to create a step change in safety, both process and personal safety. We've had some terrific interviews and thoughts from executives and industry leaders, and today's going to be no exception. I'm pleased today to uh, introduce our guest, Bob Brjunik. Bob, welcome to the program. So thanks, Rick, for the opportunity to talk with you on this podcast. Um, you know, I'm very passionate about this subject around creating a step change in safety performance. Yeah, Bob, let me just start with your background, because I think people want to know uh, the individual behind the excellent insights and thoughts that you'll share with, so, with us over the next 30 minutes. So Bob is an author and an operational excellence and safety excellence expert. He started his career uh, with, he's done 37 years with Conoco, DuPont, Praxir, BP, and he's both done the shop floor to president of a technologies company. And uh, one of the reasons, Bob, we're talking today because of your excellent safety record, both as an operational leader, and in fact, at technologies company, I'm sure you'll tell us more about this. You achieved four consecutive years of record-breaking safety performance and unprecedented profits, which is a topic, as you know, we've been tackling, can you achieve both operational excellence and safety excellence? Bob is also uh, an author of the, a new book, Pursuit of Zero, Seven Safety Principles for Creating an Injury-Free Workplace. And so we're gonna hear more about some of the principles and insights Bob has to share. Bob, any other background that you'd like, or maybe expand on that background a little bit before we get going? No, as you say, I had the combined career with Conoco, DuPont, Praxair, and BP. Uh, uh, so if you do the math, I did graduate from the University of Pittsburgh back in 1980 with a degree in chemical engineering and hired on with Conoco in their uh, process engineering department in Ponca City, Oklahoma. So on a personal note, Ponca City has always been a place of significance in my life. That uh, first move from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Ponca City was the means for taking my wife of 38 years, Brenda, Talking her into marrying me, and Very Ponca good. City is both were uh, both of our boys, Matt and Michael, were born in St. Joseph Regional, Regional Medical Center. Um, both times my career took me through uh, Ponca City, so um, it, it's kind of a it was a fun a fun journey there. Um, as you say, Rick, I feel fortunate that we kind of had the opportunity to pro progress through kind of expanding roles, uh, leading operations, business, uh, and up to a portfolio of a Fortune 500 company. Uh, the common denominator, as you always talk about, of my success was surrounding myself with good people from leadership to the front line. And uh, most of my opportunities were in that turnaround space. So I truly understand and appreciate the word step change, uh, as were the expectation of most of the assignments I've had uh, through my uh, career. And Rick, anyone who'd be interested can follow my the details of my entire career through uh, through LinkedIn. Very good. So, Bob, tell us a little bit more about the book and some of the principles in it and, and some of the beliefs that you have. Yeah, so there is, um, um, there's one aha moment, Rick, that I'd like to share with uh, the people listening to this podcast because I think it might be a, a little bit of a unique perspective intended as good help. And, you know, it's always the how if you create a step change. Most of the people on this yep. podcast certainly understand the why and they clearly know the what and the tools. It, it, to me, it's always about the how. And, uh, it truly always relates back to the number one principle in safety, that belief that all accidents can be prevented. Very good. And as you know, we share that 
we've worked together before at BP and we share that belief. So tell us more about this aha moment. Yeah, so it, the, the moment aligns with um, the model that we as people, um, our beliefs drive our behaviors, our behaviors drive results, and then it's a continuum, results then drive our beliefs. So with, without a PowerPoint slide, Rick, <laughs> visualize the, this model as a clock with a, the hand of the clock starting at 12 with the word belief. As okay. the hand moves around the clock to four, beliefs lead the behavior. And then continuing clockwise to around like eight o'clock um, is where you'd find results. And as the hand completes the circle to the clock, you'd be back at 12, which is beliefs. So that continuum starts over. So it's a, a continuum where our beliefs drive behaviors, behaviors drive results, and then the results ultimately drive back to our beliefs. Yeah, and we'll, we'll do some of this on LinkedIn too and have that PowerPoint slide up so the folks can see that as well. But that's, so bring us back to the model in context with step change. Yeah, so as you know, organizational transformation, which I believe is what a step change is, mm -hmm. requires people to change or drop their current beliefs, mental models, right? Yep. In order to truly behave differently and that behavior achieves different outcomes, results. And that outcome and result we want in terms of this podcast would be kind of a, an injury-free workplace. Exactly. So beliefs drive behaviors and behaviors drive result. Yeah. So as you, as you, as you kind of go through that continuum in my career, I have found that that is true with both uh, personal and process safety. But if you think about it, Rick, if you want to change a belief, you got to think about what behavior or what results, I'm sorry, yep. would drive that belief. Agreed. And then from the results, figure out what behaviors do I need to change that would drive the result which changes the belief. And that's kind of how I put that model to, to work in both uh, personal and process safety. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. How it relates to personal and process safety. So you've talked a lot about um, uh, personal safety examples. Yeah. Uh, would, would it be good to share an yes, example please. of where this was pro for process safety? Yep. Yeah, this is a really cool story. Um, from a PTA plant. Um, we were there uh, doing a pilot of a frontline team-based structure problem-solving methodology to improve process safety that we had developed and were facilitating at that site. So this was the exemplar program that you and I worked together on as well. This is an yes, example. Exactly okay. right. Exactly. Example from that, right? Okay. One of the many examples. I think it's a pretty cool one. So this plant manager was looking for help in facilitating a step change in safety performance. And we were working with the site leadership team and they knew one of their top improvements needed in process safety was around loss of primary containment. Um, they had some significant leases, releases, uh, and their perspective was they needed to reduce the number of tier one and tier two loss of primary containment. That was the result that they were looking for, but, I'm pretty confident when we started, the group think of them was, well, they believe that leaks happened. We just need to catch them before they become big. Mm. And, you know, from my early days with Conoco and the acquisition of Conoco DuPont, I, you know, I came to believe that loss of primary containment just should and could be prevented. Thus the pursuit of zero. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. So they needed a project that would produce the result 
that would change the belief from the leadership team to the front line. The how was how you know the how was to form a front line team based approach to identify the behavior that needed to change to drive that result of present preventing loss of primary containment. So Bob, it just let me interrupt you for a second here. So it sounds like, and I'm so glad we're talking about process safety here because we haven't on the podcast. So, but this this would apply to both personal and process safety, right? There's little difference other than the the result you're trying to achieve and the behaviors. Yes, it's the exactly same principles the same and same practice. Okay. Right. We just applied in this case to loss of primary containment, which okay. is obviously process safety. Okay. Continue on. Yep. Yeah. So so we um so with the we facilitated with the leadership team, they uh they uh they approved the project to come up with a solution that would eliminate tier one and tier two uh, loss of primary containments. They also selected a project team, someone who believed that that they could be prevented, and they um, and that person then formed a project team that we coached through a go see and assess that produced a Pareto of all the root causes from the past 12 months of all their LOPCs, not just tier one or tier two. They went out and gathered all of that data. Mm, I love it. So yeah, from a, yeah. So from a Lean Six Sigma point of view as well, as which you're also trained and a good knowledge expert on to get get the data out there first, Pareto it so people can, you know, understand the data before they try to jump into solution. Exactly right. Right. So we're trying we knew what the results were. We're really driving down to figure out what behaviors needed or what needed to change, right? Um, and then look at all that data, Rick, they discovered that the number one root cause of their loss of was failure of fittings on tubing. Mm-hmm. And this was a PTA plant, and, and so you know that there was there was lots of tubing, right? Big big issue at petrochemical plants, okay? Oh, a, 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 absolutely. So, um, you know, a lot of that tubing is also connected to um, the pipes, and so when a tubing fails, it, you know, significant LOPC, serious ones can happen. So, Bob, just real quick, uh, the difference between Tier 1 and Tier 2 release or loss of primary containment is just in size, correct? For those correct. that aren't involved? Okay. Right, size and I guess what impact um, okay. both environmentally and business-wise it had, right? Okay, yes. let's go back to the so team. So just call them serious, right? Okay. Yeah, so the team, so they went back to the leadership team, this this project team, with their go see and assess, and they took on a goal statement, the result. They weren't, and actually they came to the fact, Rick, that they weren't looking for, for a step change, which I think of as a 50% reduction, but they felt that they wanted to go for an order of magnitude change, a tenfold reduction mm. in tubing leaks within the next 90 days. Pretty awesome. cool, pretty cool result, right? And, and surprising leadership team wrapped. The leadership team agreed, and they approved the goal statement. So then they went back and did a deeper go see and assess and root cause analysis into those that tubing was the number one failure. And they came up to learn or understand that it, number one of that was the capability to install and repair tube fittings with the proper torque specification. So what it came down to is that when you do tubing fittings, you can over-torque them, you can under-torque them, and when you do both of those, you set that tubing up for up for failure, which was an interesting result because the, the team really had some real uncomfortable conversations with the craft. They became comfort with discomfort in really driving down to the five whys because what it really turned out to be is people were not doing what they were supposed to be doing properly. Um, and that was... The, one thing that they needed, they identified the result, the change to drive that results, the capability and the commitment to properly align and torque 
compression fittings. So following right. your model there, so the, the behavior, they identified the result, 10 order of magnitude reduction, and the behavior was actually a skill in proper specification or torque specification. Yes. Okay. That skill and the other really cool change needed to be the behavior of the leadership mm -hmm. and, the, you know, the how and the who was qualified and selected to install, install tubing. It was a little bit of everybody was qualified, so in reality, no one was qualified, right? So they had to get to the leadership to understand that, hey, this is really special, and we really need to think through who we allow to go do this. Well, I like this, Bob. Thank you for, for bringing to this level of specificity is that so far we've really talked about the importance of the leadership mandate, carrying, focus, and now you're giving us a specific example of how to implement process safety change. Yeah, well done, thank know, you. Yeah, and you know, with the five whys, the first why was always just training, right? Let's just go train everybody. Well, yeah. what they really what they really drilled down to is now it wasn't just about training. Yes, they did need to understand the from the training manual how to you know what to do, but they really needed to go out and demonstrate and verify with pressure testing that the people were actually capable to do it. Yeah, and so how, what role did leadership play in this? Then that, that's the kind of specifics on how what the team did. Was there uh, engagement, recognition from leadership? How, how did that work? Yeah, so and this is the, yes, there was, right? So this team kept reporting back to leadership. Um, and the first week that they, they undertook getting the right people trained and qualified, there was three or four tubing leaks that week, right? So things always get worse yep. before they get better, right? Yep. yep. And what was really interesting is they went, as they looked into these failures, they found out that most of them were because the tubing fittings were installed in locations that it was nearly impossible to do correctly. So they had set the craft up for failure based on where these fittings were located. So the team reported that back to leadership and asked for permission, comfort with discomfort, that any time they found a tubing fitting that was located like that, that they'd have the permission to shut down operations or do operationally what it took to get that tubing replaced into a place that set the craft up for success. That was a big ask of leadership, and leadership understanding the, the importance bought in and said, yes, do whatever it takes so we can stop this. Very good. Tell me more about this thing you've mentioned a couple of times now, comfort with discomfort. How does that tie in? Why well, is that so important? So having a front line have the ability to go talk to site leadership and ask for something is nothing that they're not experienced with or we're near necessarily comfortable with, right? Mm -hmm. Going in and saying, you know, we really need to ask leadership for a commitment to do something, kind of to call them out whether they're really serious about this or not. Uh, there was a lot of uh, coaching going along, Rick, as you know, getting them with the confidence to go in and ask for it. And then with the leadership team, you know, they were becoming comfortable. They had to become, become comfortable with the discomfort of getting bad news. Yeah. Right. So instead of saying, oh, my God, you know, that can't yeah. be right. You got it. They had to come in and say, thank you. We didn't know. We had no idea that all these tube fittings were in the wrong place. Yes. Go ahead and get them fixed. And so the craft that returned in the craft taking on a lot of ownership and respect for leadership. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they actually asked them the craft to say, OK, how about for the next 30 days? I want you to be 100 percent committed. 100% confident that you can do this right, and let's see what happens. And the results were just fantastic. What were the results? Finish up that story. So the results were after getting all the tubing 
fixed, Rick. They started counting the number of days until they had a tube fitting leak. And I, it was months, right? Because mm. once they got these things, once you install tubing correctly, they don't, they don't leak. Um, so that was really, really a, a tremendous outcome. But that didn't stop all the LFECs. That was just the first on the Prado, right? Yeah. So then that team, long story short, the, the team took, went to gaskets. They went to um, open valves after turnarounds and, and, and repairs. And they just kept working that Pareto until after about the second Pareto, all of a sudden people started to believe, my gosh, we really don't have to accept or should have any loss of primary containments. And the plant developed a leak register and long story short, um, for, for years, I don't think they've had a significant uh, LOPCs. I've kind of stopped following it, but as we left, they were, um, they were having some great performance. So the, they identified the behavior, yep. right, that drove the results that in turn got them all to believe, and man, that, that clock just started, you know, warp speed going, going around. Beautiful. I love that process safety example. And thanks for sharing that. And, and that ties so nicely into the podcasts I shared uh, at the beginning of this around our FAIR model of what's your focus, what's the end result you're trying to do, reduction in LOPCs, pinpoint the behavior or the area through data, get the team involved. So that's a significant part of your story is the engagement that happened between leadership and the frontline team and get lots of, you know, listening, ability to take hard news. And of course, as the frontline sees, you know, things getting fixed or things getting changed based on their Pareto, that just starts to become self-fulfilling, right? And so yeah. great, great example and a simple model, but one that's not always practiced. I wish we could get every <laughs> frontline and mid-level leader listening to this example, because that is a simple example on how to approach any problem. Um, and then, Bob, you also talk about in your book uh, uh, an aha that you had as a leader that changed the way you uh, you look at safety. Do you mind sharing that story? No, it, it comes back, as you say, team-based, right? Yeah. And, uh, and this is my aha of a member of the team that I really hadn't thought about. Um, so this story comes from when I had responsibility for the industrial uh, gas pipeline system in the Houston ship channel. And um, I had the pipelines and my cohort, Tony, had responsibility for the li liquid just distribution that came off of those uh, plants on the pipeline. Those are those large trucks, you know, that you see yep. on the road that either have Praxair or Air Products or Air Liquide yep. on their side. So we were really proud. As a business unit, we'd gone a year, 365 days without a recordable injury. And we had approval for a year-end safety awards banquet to recognize the accomplishment, right? Fantastic. Part of what you guys all talk about, right? So I had suggested to Dan, our regional vice president, and, and he approved allowing everyone to invite a significant other to the banquet. And we also had uh, Dennis from corporate uh, attend. Uh, he led the uh, corporate environmental health and uh, safety organization. So, Rick, one of the highlights of our safety program was the recognition of a, a driver of those large trucks who had gone a million miles driving without a recordable injury or accident. And by accident, we held, we held a pretty high standard that in contact with any object. So not even a fender bender. Wow. I mean, Bob, as you know, that transportation is the number one incident, accident, injury in America. North America, actually, is by transportation, trucks, traveling. So that's an incredible result. Yeah, it is. And, and the drivers, that culture that had come from years way before I got, they were very proud of that accomplishment, right? So we decided that this driver recognition, in the, to include this in the banquet, 
for those who achieved that kind of million miles within the 365 days. And I recall there were like maybe three or four um, drivers uh, out of the 20 or so that were there that had reached that accomplishment, that milestone that year. And we had one driver, and I recall his name being the same as mine, Bob, that he had achieved 5 million miles of injury and accident-free deliveries and was planning to retire right after the first of the year. So obviously, we wanted to make a very special recognition of that very significant and unfortunately somewhat rare event, right? Very good. Um, And I love in there, Bob, that you're willing or the company was willing, even though everybody wasn't going to get it, to pinpoint a very specific behavior that got recognition. I think that takes courage because there's some people that wouldn't get the recognition, but uh, I think that's an important principle there. Thank you. Yeah. So I was emceeing this banquet with Tony and we were up on the stage recognizing that we called it the Million Mile Club, right? Um, when we invited, so we got through that and we invited Bob up for this last recognition of the evening. And he was on the stage and he was receiving his award from Tony, Dan, Dennis, and I, when his significant other, in this case, his wife, mm-hmm. stood, up her ta- stood up at her table, raised her hand and asked if she could come up and say a few words. <laughs> I looked at Tony, Tony and I looked at Dennis and, and Dan, and we kind of shrugged our shoulders and I replied, sure, right? And, and I remember thinking this was a pretty high risk, having no idea what she was going to say, right? No. And this was a room of probably 150, 200 people, right? Very good. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, wow. Good for so you guys. She, yeah, 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 yeah. It was courageous. There, there's your courage, right? Word courage. But she got up on stage and she gave a passionate five-minute talk. She thanked Praxair for a company that truly cared about safety. She thanked us local leadership that was in the room for enabling her husband to complete an injury-free career. And, and, and she mm. gave her husband a big kiss and thanked him for coming home every trip to the, safely to the family. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was pretty cool. But then this was the aha moment. She shared the little secret of all the notes over the years, those five million miles, that reminded her husband to be safe. Handwritten notes, I call it post-its today, right? That she put in his lunchbox. She put it in his luggage because he would go on long trips or put occasionally on the rearview mirror of his car as as he drove to work. And and I went, oh, that's the aha. I I didn't ever thought of her as a member of the team. And she finished by asking that all the other spouses of the drivers in the room, that they pick up where she left off finding ways to keep safety in the forefront of their significant other so that they would come home safe every day over their entire career. That was, that was an aha moment for me. Wow. That is a great example. Uh, what, a, what a story. So what I like about that, Bob, is that many have shared the story of when they had a death or a fatality on their watch, and that changed the rest of their career on how vigilant they were on safety and and personal and process safety with this is a positive event that sounded like it shaped uh, your view for the rest of your career on how vigilant you were about personal and process safety is that a fair fair comment oh absolutely i mean i came to the fact that you know who better can help those of us on this podcast who have responsibility and safety leadership roles to change a behavior that drives a result towards zero that ultimately drives that belief that all accidents can be prevented. I mean, this significant other obviously believed 
and she was working to influence uh, Bob's behavior every single day. Yeah. So what do you say, Bob? Because there's some in the safety community that would say, oh, that, that might be a distraction. That when I want somebody to pick up the tools and perform a task that we don't want them worried about home or distracted about home. What, what's your view on that? Well, I think it's also true that the significant other can be a distraction. I, I like you, have read and listened to some of that perspective. Um, you know, we all know what it's like to have us have an event with our kids we're going to go to that evening or um, thinking about a vacation um, or even mo or emotional, right? Um, yeah, a disagreement with your wife or your kids or you're working through a, um, a family. It's a somewhat funny story. I was at um, New Johnsonville's plant, I'm sorry, DuPont's plant, New Johnsonville, Tennessee. And I learned that the significant other was a deer. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> seriously, historically, we had more recordable injuries the week before deer season than any other week in the year. Okay. So, yeah, and significant other can be an attribute in the case of my one story um, with at the banquet. And, and it clearly can be a, a, a distraction if, you know, you're thinking about the deer versus work. But right. here's another tool that, that the how that I came to work through that conundrum. Okay. Um, DuPont has a program known as uh, Take Two. You can find it by searching um, DuPont Take Two, and that's T-A-K-E and the number two. Um, it's Take Two. It's a great program. The T in the acronym stands for think. So the concept for it is to take two, two seconds, two minutes, two hours, two days to think through as you prepare to work on that task. Obviously, the amount of time, the two, depends on that task. So what, what I, I took those two things together, and I came up with a properly framed, the significant Heather can help you with the why we want to properly prepare, right? Why am I taking okay. two? I That's like the that. positive side. And the why we must focus on preparation, the E, the execution and, and take. So our, I got to forget about those distractions, right? Why am I forgetting about them? Because I do want to come home safe. It's kind of the difference between doing a job safely and kind of, kind of never being able to do the job again. So you got to know when you are distracted, but also think about the fact that the Sydney Nuthaker is helping me think about the why am I doing this job safely, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the when of the why and the what, how to think, right? When do I think about the significant other and when do I need to forget about it because I got to focus on the task at hand. So. I think it's right. I think significant other can be a distraction. They are a distraction. The reality is it is a distraction. But at the same time, I think they can be that driving force, the significant other, to drive their significant other, him or her, to that personal pursuit of zero, kind of an injury-free career. Yeah, very good. So the the, the pursuit of zero or, or the uh, aha moment around significant other is a great why motivator to stay safe, be safe, act safe. And then I love the example of take two, fits nicely into the mind, mindfulness idea that Anil shared last time around each time you prepare, you're actually properly uh, preparing using a tool like take two or mindfulness to prepare for the task so you're not. Um, I think you gotta accept the fact that as a, as a leader, that, that your people are, people working at, what they're doing the things that you're asking them to do are going to be distracted. Yeah. So embrace that, take it, and do something about it. Just don't accept it. Okay. And Bob, we're running out of time here. What? Uh, any other example or a story that you'd like to share the, from the book or from your learnings that uh, you think the listeners may find benefit on the how? Well, just one last 
but it's okay. it's 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 around Nelson's law. Um, again, the, the exemplar program allowed me the opportunity to become to get to know Nelson Repenning. He's the associate dean of executive education at MIT um, Sloan School of Business. Pretty pretty smart person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he says that organizational change, this is Nelson Law, only happens when somebody does something different. So, Rick, I'm hoping out of this podcast, somebody heard something that they'll think about doing different. And, you know, he went on to say that we humans don't inherently like change. It's something that doesn't happen naturally to us. And he boiled it down to three things that have to happen. This ties back to the model. Identify a new behavior, just one, that will drive the results. You got to practice that new behavior a lot. And then you got to find somebody who wants to, who's going to keep you honest. Who better to keep you honest than your significant other, right? Yep. So I'm hoping everybody on this podcast, go try to find one thing, one why, one way to enable something on the shop floor to identify that new behavior that will drive these results that will get everybody or more people to believe that all accidents can be prevented. And if you have the opportunity, go to the shop floor, do the go see and assess to figure out what is the result that really would drive that behavior, that will drive that step change that we're, we're all looking for. And that all ties back, I think, very nicely, Rick, to continuous improvement. Yeah, Bob, I really appreciate you spending this half an hour with us and sharing very, very practical examples of how you and I share that passion of there's lots of talking about the issues, but what you've given us is very specific hows, how to implement, and then a challenge at the end on, you know, go see and assess and pick an issue. I mean, that simple model that you taught us at the beginning of identify the results you want, engage a team, identify then with data, the behavior or the practice that you need change to have the team come up with solutions. Uh, and then again, sharing this, uh, the why behind it with a significant other. And then also this idea of take two as a very practical example. So I share your uh, passion for the how and the implementation, and I would encourage the listeners to uh, go out and implement and try. Send us your comments. Um, we'll put Bob's link to the book at the bottom here as we uh, share this on LinkedIn and also on the podcast. And Bob, uh, really appreciate your time today and thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Rick, really enjoyed it. Hope this makes a difference to some people out there, helps. All right, uh, folks, go out and implement. Uh, this has been episode eight of CI for Life, a podcast for continuous improvement. Have a great day.